The Wiser Podcast. Conversations, public talks, and audio essays from the Witz Institute for Social and Economic Research. Hi, I'm Cesar Mboffer Walsh, and welcome to The Wiser Podcast. Our latest two part series addresses regionalization, focusing on themes of mobility, circulation, and extraction. In today's podcast, the first in this series, Professor Ashil Mbembe enters into conversation with Dr. Mpoor Matsipa. Ashil Mbembe is Professor of History and Politics at Wiser at Wits University, and Mpoor Matsipa is a Research Fellow at Wiser and Senior Lecturer in the Department of Architecture and Planning at Wits. The episode which follows this one will extend on the same themes, but from the perspective of the Congo Basin. In the aftermath of decolonization, regional integration was seen as one of the key drivers of Africa's rise to full economic and political freedom. It was also assumed that regional integration was first and foremost a state-driven project. Yet, more than half a century later, the continent remains saddled with numerous internal borders. To be sure, many are porous, Extractive enclaves abound, and the combination of porous borders, extractive enclaves, and mobile spaces has unleashed complex dynamics that have led to new de facto pathways of regionalization at the interface of state and non-state actors in formal institutions and networks. This conversation with Mpo Matsipa, curator of the African Mobilities Project consists of an exchange on this predicament. Some of the issues we explore are the intensification of mobility and circulation in a context of uh, accelerated technological transformations, the cultural and aesthetic forms generated by such movements, the connections between mobility, circulation, and the extraction of natural resources taking place in Africa over the last century and a half. The podcast is part of Regions 2050, an international research program convened by the Witz Institute for Social and Economic Research. Regions 2050 is funded by Carnegie Corporation in New York City and the Gerda Henkel Foundation, Düsseldorf, Germany. We both live and work in, in Johannesburg. How do you see this process of regional imagination being reshaped in the aftermath of uh, the uh, collapse or the uh, decommissioning of the old labor migrant system? I guess um, a dimension of, of, the, of the work of African mobilities that, that I think needs to be an ongoing project is really thinking about the cultures around extraction and the kind of cultural geographies of extraction and how that produced a particular kind of sensibility. And there's artists like Dana Wabira and Olin Oswald Dennis and Tim Gosikuniwe who really thought very 
rigorously around this region that connects South Africa, Congo, um, Zambia, Zimbabwe, Mozambique as one sonic region that has all of these kind of cultural flows that are mediated by the railway line. So you have an infrastructure that's designed around extraction that nevertheless creates a whole kind of culture and sensibilities that are not necessarily um, in a one-to-one -one relationship to the logics of extraction per se, that they have their own life and their own afterlives. And I think that maybe that is the big question um, in, a, in a city like Johannesburg. How do we imagine um, the movement and circulation of people now that uh, the infrastructure of extraction is kind of being decommissioned? And maybe it's a crisis of imagination as well. And a kind of, it, it demands a, re, a recalibration of our own imagination about how we how we we come together that if this um, system of coerced this coercive labor migrant system produced an urban culture um, what happens when the coercive system collapses and what takes its place um, that's I don't know I mean it's an interesting question right and that's what we're grappling with the inability to come to terms with with the presence of others or even the idea of the other I don't know I don't have an answer, but it's it's a big it's it's maybe the big question. But it also it seems to me asking framing the question in that way and in the way you yourself did might help us not only to rethink the kind of urban form uh, Johannesburg is becoming or in fact has always been in the history of capitalism mm. in our region, but also the, uh, the very borders of South Africa. Because to a large extent, I mean, seen from the history of capitalism, the borders of South Africa extend, I would argue, from the Vidvatesrand to Katanga. Mm -hmm. um, they are not only political borders, but they are also geological borders. Right. With the difference being that the Vidvatesrand went through an industrial revolution beginning with the late 19th century. But that same industrial revolution somewhat did fail in the Katanga, the whole Katanga region and uh, the uh, copper territories of uh, uh, the Congo and, and Zambia in, in particular. But, but I agree that there is a, a straightforward connection between these two, two regions. One in which capitalism somewhat succeeded with its institutions, its voracity for uh, raw material and of course human material. Mm -hmm. And the other one, the Katanga, uh, where somewhat uh, after a start, it did fail. So, do you think that that would be a, a way in which we might begin to recalibrate the geographies of, of the continent? Uh, well, I have a question about, you know, how one measures success and failure, um, in, I guess from the perspective of capitalism. Um, but I also think that this question of, like, these geological borders is fascinating because I had... I've had two conversations about copper. The one was, was with uh, Sami Baloji, and the second was with um, um, Jean um, Katambay, uh, Jean, Jean Mukendi Katambay. And he talks about tracing 
the copper region from Zambia through Katanga across the Atlantic Ocean into Brazil. And what is interesting about his kind of um, geographical imagination is that he's already forgotten the nation state as a territory and he's crafting other things. So there is a way in which people who are engaged in like, you know, um, geological formations and mathematics are thinking about um, regions in a, in a radically different way. That's not necessarily tied to the kind of um, geopolitical configuration. Um, so it's a kind of unmapping as well and finding connections where, where they have been denaturalized or broken historically, and also uh, recuperating certain kinds of connections that existed before, but that have already been uh, erased or, or forgotten. But then I, um, so that was the first thing about, about the geological um, mapping or an unmapping of the kind of uh, nation state as a container. And then the second one around capitalism and its and its futures or its histories is is interesting because what Sami Baloji's work tells me and based on the conversations that we've had is that you know capitalism has been very successful in the Congo. <laughs> so, so that's where like the question of success and and how it's measured becomes really interesting and and the question is successful for whom. Um, so this idea of, you know, there is a kind of nostalgia in his earlier work around the beautiful time uh, at the height of kind of industrial um, production uh, in the Katanga region. But then in, in Kolwezi, where he's looking at artisanal, farm, uh, artisanal uh, miners, mm. but also looking at the incursion of these multinational corporations engaged in extraction in, in the Katanga region, that is also capitalism at work and the recalibration of territory and the production of very particular kinds of subjectivities. And I think this speaks very much to, to your critique of these kind of universalizing grammars, right, that one assumes that um, capitalist extraction or capitalist development produces particular kinds of outcomes. And what, what the Congo teaches us, uh, especially in relation to this question of success, <laughs> is, that, is that the success of capitalist extraction does not necessarily produce um, modern subjects who are free. Uh, it produces a kind of ruination, a kind of um, a despoilation of, of that environment. And that the history of this extraction is deep and long Right, so th the fact that um, the materials used to build the atom bomb come from the Katanga mm. region and the production of American imperial power is itself a form of success. Um, so I think that I don't remember the original question, but I think I think that it doesn't matter. The original question <laughs> doesn't matter. What is really interesting is the way in which you drawing from. Uh, the beautiful work done by uh, Balogi and a number of others, uh, the way in which um, you problematize the question of success or failure uh, of certain forms of capitalism, in this case, very extractive uh, ones, uh, forms that uh, are uh, deeply involved in the um, uh, treatment not only of matter, uh, in its deepest sense, but also of bodies mm. and uh, muscular power and uh, the, um, the flows of energy uh, a body is capable of producing. And, and in that sense, I totally agree with you that, I mean, maybe categories of success and of failure might not matter, but although they do, I mean, based on purely capitalist logics, 
But what, what we see uh, at work here is indeed that there are many forms of, of successes. Um, failure, failure relative, I, I, I would argue, um, but also a capacity for uh, those who are forced to live in, in the midst of ruins mm -hmm. and ruination are mm -hmm. uh, 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 to some extent always able to continue to produce forms of life out of situations which at first sight appear to be unlivable. Mm -hmm. um, it seems to me that that's also part of what Baloyi's uh, work uh, does show. But, but then the, the question remains, which we haven't addressed yet, how does all of this proceed when a huge part of that infrastructure is no longer needed. I mean, for instance, the number of people working in the mines uh, in the Vidvatasran today, I mean, it's, uh, it's not what it used to be. The transformations of South African capitalism um, have made it such that uh, where the most important profits come from today, it's not in, from mining. Mm. Uh, it's from some, some, some other sectors. Or, it's an explosion, course. right? I, yeah. And I think that uh, that's where some of the kind of neo-Marxist uh, analysis of capitalist transformation become interesting or useful because um, they've helped to think about the connection between possibly fragmented territories and how they get stitched together according to these kind of neoliberal logics, um, which is, one doesn't want to produce a geography of command and control, but I think that um, learning how to map, that there are many maps, first of all, right? Mm -hmm. the, that there are many maps. The, the colonial state, the apartheid state, tried to produce a, uh, um, one map that was about singularity, that was about a kind of authoritative narrative. And I think that what characterizes the current is, is the difficulty of any kind of centralized or centralizing narrative, that there's a multiplicity of territories that are that are connecting but also pulling apart simultaneously. Yeah. And so um, this idea of legibility or illegibility is is a is a persistent feature that I think registers particularly for architects who like clarity, order, structure, grids. Mm -hmm intelligibility. So it, it I think that the current moment raises interesting questions around representation, not just about map, but mapping. So what forms of representation do we have to produce or create or imagine in order to, to make sense of the contemporary? Because clearly the languages of the colonial state are inadequate to account for where we are in the present, even mm -hmm. though there are very strong elements of the colonial in the present, even mm -hmm. though it's been recalibrated. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the way that it, it, it pans out in, in the experiments that I've been engaged with, um, with many collaborators, is that we're working across multiple registers. So, um, the sonic, right? So, thinking about distributed intelligence and um, uh, distributed frequencies and collectivities is already a kind of reconceptualization about what it means to be in the world and ways of being in the world um, and forms of meaning making that are collective. But then also the importance of speculation as well. So working with Olele Khan-Jafis and Walilawal, um, working on sort of um, speculative narratives about the near future becomes a way to kind of think through what the trajectory of the current condition might be.
um, however dystopian the interpretation of that um, of that future is. So I think that it raises interesting questions around representation, not not but not representation to fix meaning, but representation in order to open up a new set of questions and a new set of um, categories or, or cultural practices that can help to. Um, to reimagine ways of being in the world. And then in, in relation to the question of habitability or uninhabitability. Um, or livability or unlivability. An, an, an what is the difference between habitability and livability for you? I think the two merge at some point. Um, habitation, referring, I would argue, to the um, possibility or not of uh, carving out a space one can uh, feel a deep connection with to the point of uh, believing that uh, it belongs to, to one. Livability having to do with the means, means uh, of livelihood uh, and the mechanics of uh, uh, bringing together uh, the set of relations without which uh, one is but uh, an isolate uh, in the world. I wonder if... But, but these are maybe two philosophical uh, uh, line of thought. Uh, as I was listening to you and then uh, going back to the project, African Mobilities, I kept wondering what for an architect working within the frame uh, you, you were so vividly describing, what is a border? Uh, is... Is the border or a border something one one has in mind at all? Or uh, you were talking about fixity, or is it something you you definitely got rid of? Uh, how do you imagine a border within this framework? I I am really interested in this idea of soft borders. Soft borders. Um, and, and a lot of this comes from, I mean, there are different kinds of borders, right? There's the porosity of the border between uh, Zambia and the Katanga region at Ndolo, for instance, right? Where things are moving across that border all the time. And it's kind of an arbitrary designation or <laughs> a point of extraction. So <laughs> it's, there's something arbitrary, um, but also very real about it. And then I was thinking about, um, for me, uh, being on Lagos Lagoon and understanding that there's this territory called the Lagoon, and then there's this territory called the Ocean, and that they're not they're, that they're not the same, mm -hmm. but that also that the Lagoon doesn't just connect the mainland to the ocean, but that it also works laterally by connecting across West Africa, so right up to the bite of well, well, what is now like the Delta region, mm -hmm. but it can also extend all the way up to um, Abidjan or Cote d'Ivoire. Yeah. So, so the further fact, down south, I mean, to Cameroon. And right. Yeah. So the fact that, that, that there are these kind of historical connections that connect these different places, mm -hmm. but that it's somehow been forgotten is, is curious to me. And it tells me that um, Africans have been traversing what we imagine as boundaries or territories for the longest, longest time, and that it's hardwired into the culture, into the music, into the feud yes. and that's something it's a resource that that can be mined there's a long history of of Africans navigating uh, waterways and connecting across vast um, uh, territories so we had a conversation last year with Abdul Malik Simone and um, Professor Alidu and, and others about 
um, about the Sahel as a kind of ocean, right? And, and that people were moving across the space and that the idea of, of the visitor is something that is absolutely natural um, in, in, in a city like Agadez, for instance. So I think that there's a very long history of, of Africans moving and being in contact with each other that might be worth revisiting, particularly right. in this moment yes. um, that is kind of captured by a kind of modernist... Um, imagination of space that is about fixity, containment, calculability. Look, we can stop it there. It would be a fan fantastic way of ending it. Mm -hmm. Although there's so much the, that you are raising. There are things that I don't understand from you, and that I I don't have an answer. No, but that maybe you, you can help me. Out. <laughs> it's absolutely marvelous. In fact, you are opening up a, a research program. I uh, very much like the, uh, the way in which you draw on uh, the long histories mm. of these uh, processes uh, and the way in which you read them from um, the perspective of an architect, but an architect who is uh, extremely um, uh, conscious of uh, the variety of perspectives uh, uh, especially perspectives coming from um, uh, various disciplines in the arts. Uh, after all, Baloji, uh, is a, He's an artist. Uh, she is an artist. Uh, a number of others, uh, for me, Abdul Malik Simon is uh, fundamentally an artist, uh, uh, in addition to other um, talents uh, that he exhibits. So I like that way of um, uh, destabilizing uh, received notions and um, opening them, them up um, to new ways of interrogation, um, which allow for better handle on the dynamisms and the ambiguities and uh, the uh, collisions uh, that, are, that, are, that are at work. But one last point would have been to bring all of that back to the city of Johannesburg. Um, if you were to say two or three things about this, this city, which is uh, an amazing place, mm -hmm. um, which is, which is uh, I mean, each city is unique uh, in its own way. Um, if you were to say one or two or three things about Johannesburg, things which could speak beyond Johannesburg, which would speak to Kinshasa, uh, to Lagos, or to, to Luanda, uh, or to Nairobi, what would they be? Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it, that's such an interesting question because with all of my collaborators across the continent, the, the resistance has always been, there's, we've, all, we've all kind of been very cautious of any kind of uh, totalizing narrative and been very mindful of the specific histories of each location. Um, and yet we, we are also aware of the... We're all facing similar they, conundra that, yes. and they overlap and are connected. Yes. In, in all kinds in all kinds of ways um, what is it that 
Johannesburg has to offer um, as a way of thinking. Hmm. Or for that matter, that Lagos or Kinshasa have to offer to our reading of Johannesburg. Conceptual traffic, without which we, we cannot really speak about regional imaginations. A key element you, you, you highlight. I mean, I think that the thing about uh, Luanda or, or Lagos or Nairobi, um, Johannesburg or even Addis, is that these are all contact zones where um, there are encounters between like these deep, long histories that are embedded, but also uh, flows of people, populations, goods at all, at all kinds of moments. And that different cities have exhibited different kinds of um, agility and fluency in managing those flows than others. But that I think that the future success of a city like Johannesburg, assuming it has a future, is in developing greater um, um, agility in, in negotiating and embracing difference. And, and I think that there are things that can be learned from other cities. I'm thinking specifically about the research done by Emmanuel Admasu, who's an Ethiopian-American architect looking at uh, Mercato. Yeah. And he talks about how there's a very long history of markets and moving marketplaces in Ethiopia, and yeah. that marketplaces are these contact zones and spaces where people have to develop new languages uh, and speak multiple languages simultaneously and develop systems that are flexible and mutable and, and negotiable, and that that is what determines the success um, of one of Africa's largest markets. So if we think about these sites as marketplaces, but also sites of cultural production, it requires a lot more sort of like flexibility and um, openness and, and a willingness to engage with the unknown. Um, and that, I think, is what will determine the success of, of the city or its failure. Yeah. Yes. I think that trope of the market is so crucial in the histories of mobilities in the continent. Mm, even in African literature. In African literature, uh, African anthropology, the market in, in the whole of West Africa has been an enduring institution. It's probably the, the oldest institution, uh, maybe with families and uh, long distance networks. And maybe that that is that speaks to your question around what happens when you know in in the ruins of like large scale monopoly capital extraction in the country that uh, that there is a generation of traders um, and travelers that needs to emerge in order to be able to ride uh, this wave and negotiate the ways in which space is being recalibrated and maybe this is a moment of reprieve or a moment before we enter into a kind of transformation of of consciousness, uh, transformation of subjectivity, and that's what's animating for me about being in Lagos, that a Lagosian spatial imagination is not limited to Lagos. It brings these many other territories into everyday practice, and it enriches it, and it's still very Niger, it's still very Lagosian. So I think that um, developing a stronger sensibility of that and building um, stronger regional networks through trade and through exchange um, is possibly what, what happens, and not to kind of lament mm. things that have passed, like um, the history of coercive extraction. Mm. It might be a moment of celebration, but it means also we have to be willing and able 
to imagine new institutions, new forms of governance, uh, new ways of trading and exchange. I like the um, reference to traders and to travelers, to which I would add preachers. Uh, <laughs> it's a trader of a sort. <laughs> well, but as you say, traders of a sort.